Do it again, Griffin. Oh, come on. I just did it like five times. Do it. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard and they're like, it's better than yours. Damn right. It's better than yours. I can teach you, but I have to charge. <laughs> Christopher Maverick, you can call me Mav, and I'm here with everybody today. Wayne's back, Hannah's back, Katya's back. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey. We're all here and no one else is. Yay? Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We we have no guest. We've alienated everyone now. Well, maybe we're problematic. Maybe that's why nobody's here. (laughs) (laughs) Seems very appropriate. (laughs) Everything is problematic. They've discovered our story class. Problematic is like the most overused word on the planet. I know, I know. It means nothing. Maybe we should have a drinking game to see everyone has to take a drink after... We say the word problematic for this episode, or we should just try and not use it. Should I get a bottle of vodka? Because I'm I'm okay with that. I mean, if that if that's going to be the rule, there's the possibility I might say it on purpose. You know, just <laughs> or maybe we we should be like the quiet game. You know, like first person to say problematic's out. Yeah. Well, we'll get back to that in a second. I, I wanted to you know just talk about other stuff. Hopefully. Everyone sounds better today because you all have new mics. Yeah, I feel very good. Enjoy. <laughs> and people had written me and, you know, there, there were some audio problems the last couple of weeks. I'm sorry about that. Hopefully they are corrected now. And this is our sort of fire test for that. But also been watching the box office game and Hannah was in the lead for a little bit. And now you're not anymore. <laughs> uh, I, so I did. I saw that coming. I think that honestly, How to Train Your Dragon 3 is the film I'm most upset that Wayne got to before me, simply because <laughs> I wanted it so badly because I love it so much. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're not. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I also have that Tyler Perry movie coming up soon. So watch out. That's going to be like 0%. <laughs> it, it could, it, yeah, it, but the thing is. Tyler's weird. Tyler and Perry makes either $10 or $10 billion. It, there's no way of knowing. <laughs> it could be anything. So it does look, however, I do want to point out that I believe, unless I miss my guess, I believe Wayne's losing yet another movie. Ah, good. <laughs> it looks like I, I saw rumors that Chaos Walking. That's me. But it, but also Chaos Walking doesn't have a new release date. So technically it could still maybe come out in 2019. We don't know. Yeah, there's rumors it might be 2020. So who knows? But game's getting exciting. And Katya is still around the corner with Captain Marvel in a week. So I expect us all to be losing. Yeah, at, at, at that point. Yeah, at that point. <laughs> I'm still um, waiting on, I think, I think for me, Godzilla is really going to be the clincher that will seal the deal. <laughs> Well, all my big movies are later in the year, so I'm going to be playing from behind for a while. So, uh-huh. yeah, but I'm like, just keep telling yourself that, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Still excited about this game. And finally, uh, last time Hannah and I were both on the show together, we did the Oscar show that went interestingly terribly. <laughs> it went terribly. I know that. Katya and Wayne don't care about the Oscars. And by the time anyone's listening to this episode, it's been over for a while. But first of all, Bohemian Rhapsody should never have been nominated for so many like 
awards like the brian singer thing i know we're gonna probably talk about in a second and i'll leave that alone but it's just not that good a movie like it's competent but it's like just not that original or interesting i get it queen everyone likes queen whatever it should never have won for editing also green book really green book this is where we want to go with our lives give me a break <laughs> <laughs> At least from what I've seen on the internet, most people agree with you, Hannah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, this is not. All this is not things. a hot take. Yeah. No. No. The Green Book thing happened because, from what I understand, probably even as we were recording the episode and later, there was a push for Green Book within the Academy because they didn't want to give it to Roma. It was specifically the Academy got together and decided the world cannot have a Netflix movie winning Best Picture. With Bohemian Rhapsody, probably the only thing that I'm okay with them winning that they won was Best best Actor. Well, that's because no one was nominated for Best Actor that really, like, I was rooting for, except for the fact that yeah, I, he, was, I, he was fine. But he didn't even sing. He, fine. he didn't well, even I, sing. They had someone else dub his, like, voice and they used yeah, Freddie Mercury. Well, no, nobody can sing like Freddie Mercury, so. Yeah. Right. For sure, but, like, yeah. he, he didn't sing at all. Like, they, he yeah. can't yeah, sing. I, I, as, as a comparison, um... The Val Kilmer and the Doors movie, he did all of the vocals and he was dead on and he didn't get a nomination for anything. So, yeah. Well, so he's at number 10,962. Why Katya does not watch yeah. the Oscars. Yeah. No, and, one and, 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 no one should. No one should, really. Bohemian Rhapsody is one of those, like, I've been a Queen fan d- as long as I've been listening to music. And and I saw the movie, and as a Queen fan, there were things about it I appreciated and liked that a lot of people probably didn't. I didn't think it was a great movie. No, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right. It's, 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 as a fan, I came yeah, out of it. It's a fun movie if you're a fan. It's not a fun movie if you're a fan. Uh, well, well, it depends oh. on what you mean. Like, if you're if you are a fan of erasing queerness and doing weird things like that, then sure, see, it's a fun see, movie. See, that that's a different conversation because I disagree with that. Well, and, and I've had this conversation with different people. That's a different show. Yeah. Well, my biggest complaint was in a similar fervor to Hannah. It won for sound editing. If you voted for Bohemian Rhapsody for sound editing, you don't know what sound editing means. Maybe it wins for mixing. Arguable? Eh. Sound editing is creation of sound effects. It doesn't have any. <laughs> There's nothing. It didn't belong in that category. I, I was, and just watching all night, I was just like, oh, Bohemian Rhapsody is winning everything. And then, you know, Spike won for best screenplay, which I thought would happen, but just random stuff was happening. And I was like, I, who knows where this is going? People are, are like trying to analyze it. That's not this show. But it was just, it was an interesting night and I wanted to address it since we did the other show on it. Um, I refuse to do another Oscars show. I'm done with the Oscars. <laughs> I'm done with wait, the wait Oscars too next until, until next year. No, yeah, no, year. I'm putting my foot down. No uh-huh. more Oscar shows. You said this last year. Doing- I did not say this last year with the show. I'm pretty sure you said this last this, year. This not show- on the podcast, obviously, but... Uh, so anyway, that's why nobody's on this show anymore. <laughs> so today's topic, <laughs> not the Oscars, though slightly Oscar related, because one of the other reasons that Hannah hates Bohemian Rhapsody is Brian Singer. Fair enough. Yes, I would. I, I said this last time and I'll say it again. I would not have gone to go see it and paid money to see it if I had known that he was directing, which is on me because well, I guess we can talk about what the topic is. For yeah, today. yeah, yeah. Bring up the topic. Okay, so well, then the topic is, and I guess here's where I drink. 
<laughs> um, it is problematic artists or the internet term of milkshake ducks. Because I think the milkshake duck phenomena is the best way of describing it without single out any specific artists, you know, singer what counts, but R. Kelly because of his issues from this week. The idea of Milkshake Duck is from a meme that happened a year or two ago. And the idea is that if somebody posts a cute picture on Twitter of a duck drinking a milkshake, Everyone will fall in love with the duck. It will go viral. Everybody will be like, this duck is amazing. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then five minutes later, the news will come out that the duck is secretly racist and has been all along. But not just with internet celebrities, we have people like Brian Singer. We have R. Kelly this week. We have Bill Cosby. We have Kevin Spacey. We have Harvey Weinstein. We have, oh, what, oh, what's her name? The, the chef lady? Um, Paula Dean. Paula Dean. Yeah. Any number of people who create a big following for themselves. And then all of a sudden you find out that they are a deplorable human being. And usually lately these days, at least we've reacted by sort of trying to erase their fame, take it away. Bill Cosby, once we found out that he'd raped, you know, 200 women, which was like apparently one too many. And then we started paying attention. Then they took his old show. They took the reruns of the Cosby show off the air after because they didn't believe it for a while. Those those rumors were around forever. And then once it really started breaking, they were like, OK, we're removing the Cosby show from the air. And it's sort of anathema now to like sort of even reference the Cosby show. But as a black kid who grew up in America, I, I got to say the Cosby show was really important. So how do you deal with that? Um, another friend of mine, they were a big fan of the movie K-Pax. And they're like, oh, I can't watch this anymore because Kevin Spacey's in it. And that's a weird one because I don't really care about K-Pax or does, I don't know if anybody does, but Kevin Spacey's also an American Beauty, LA Confidential, and Usual Suspects, literally three of the greatest movies of all time. So how do you deal with that? Can we watch Kevin Spacey movies anymore? Can we watch Harvey Weinstein movies? Because he produced like 80% of the movies ever made. So what do we do? Well, I think like, I mean, just any of the examples that you brought up, brought up, I think there's two sort of separate issues here. There's one, on the one hand, it's sort of like what, because we're cultural and literary scholars and all that, what gets canonized? Like what is taught and how is it taught? Like what do we decide to sort of like remember? And then the other question is what do we as media consumers want to spend our time and money on? And I think that those are interlinked questions, but I think in some ways they're kind of separate issues. Yeah, and I, and I think that's an important distinction. This topic was suggested to me by a, a friend who's been listening to the show. Hi, PJ. And he was approaching it very much from that, that point of view of fan culture and you know, skate and some of those kind of things where, you know, this stuff comes out and, and like, here's something I've loved and I've loved for a long time, but I, and it's still important to me. What do I choose to do with this information just as a consumer? Can I continue enjoying this thing? Do I continue doing something that supports these? artists who who have you know attitudes or beliefs that i find abhorrible um abhorrent so he was approaching very much i think from that that fan perspective but i i'm, I'm glad you brought up the other piece that got you because that's important as well well because like um i was just thinking because wayne brought up on the blog sort of the example of orson scott carr who wrote like the enders game series which i enjoyed massively as like a middle schooler it was one of my favorite books and i've actually taught it and I, I like struggled with whether or not to teach that book specifically because Orson Scott Card has uh, a lot of problematic views. Yeah, Let's yeah, say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into like the whole part of it is when I teach it, I teach it partially because of that is because it's like, you know, I think it's really uh, important to sort of think about, especially because a lot of my students, it was also I teach a lot of nerds. 
So it's also a book that a lot of them read and enjoyed as kids. And I think it's important and it's a good book to do this with, to like reintroduce the idea that like these texts come from like actual people with like real opinions and real views. And those things often, especially in YA fiction, I think end up in the text and, but in ways that people don't notice. Let me, let me ask you then, Katya, since I, cause I, I haven't read it since that came out. Um, you know, I, I haven't reread it and I, I was well into adulthood before I read the series. I was well into adulthood before the series came out, but it's a series I really enjoyed and I haven't reread it in light of what I now know about him. I, I don't know. Part of my memory of that particularly, and I mentioned this in the blog. Can you guys keep me in? What exactly did he do? Just roughly two sentence version. Um, basically he's particularly, um, homophobic and anti-LGBTQ. He like specifically donates money and promotes a lot of anti-LGBTQ opinions and organizations. Um, I don't know the specific extent of it off the top of my head. Um, And I would also say that like that's reflected, albeit not necessarily super explicitly, but like it's, but also not invisibly in a lot of his books. Um, There's definitely Mm -hmm. a sort of. Yeah, that's where I was going. Like, because my memory of Speaker for the Dead, I mean, part of Ender's story in that is his ability to completely and utterly empathize with an alien mindset, which seems to go against the idea of here's someone who can't empathize with, you know, gay people. Well, I mean, I think this is a problem. I mean, there's actually to bring up another sort of like sci-fi creator who's much older. Um, is there's been work on H.P. Lovecraft and sort of talking yeah. about the way that he had a similar sort of like ethos of like accepting the strange or and like the dark and the stuff that, yeah, like the sort of like alien, quote unquote, but is also, again, like a highly problematic figure who in his daily life was pretty racist. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I think it's important to remember that, like, especially in genre cultures, the things that seem about acceptance often do not actually translate to people's real world views. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I think for a lot of readers, that's that kind of thing is influential. I mean, I taught Ender's Game, but like when you look at the representation of a particularly like male friendships, like there's a lot of homophobia and there's also a lot of like veiled sexism and things like that. And I guess the way that I think of Ender's Game is I think it's about a very narrow kind of acceptance that's specifically a kind of acceptance of socially ostracized white straight men. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's like about the acceptance of nerds. Yeah, even foundationally, this country, we're in the United States, all men are created equal. And by all men, we mean white (laughs) ones that are literally male and own land. That's not unique, you know, like right now, now being in 2019 in our current cultural moment, it's sort of... I don't, I, and I don't mean this to be reductive at all, but it is in vogue to say, look at the ways in which whiteness might be problematic. But that's just where we are right now. There was a point where people were fighting for equality and they meant just all white people. Then they meant just white Christians or, you know, oh, we want all religions to be equal, but you know, not the Jews. Like there was a, that was a thing that happened, not the Muslims, not the atheists. You have people, very real people alive today who very much believe in freedom of sexuality. And by that, they mean you can be gay, not necessarily bi, or they mean you can be gay and bi, but not trans, or they mean you can be gay and bi and trans and pan, but not polyamorous. Or, you know, there's always a, well, not that thing that's too icky for me. Right. And I, one thing that happens a lot is people are always surprised. How can there possibly be black people who weren't for gay marriage? Because clearly you were ostracized. So you should understand other people being ostracized. And that's not how cultural shift works. Just because you understand 
one kind of oppression, it does not necessarily unilaterally um, translate to everybody. Right. Especially because like in a lot of cases, one of the ways you sort of like define social groups is by not just inclusion of the people that are like you, but exclusion of other people. Like we absolutely define social group groups, not just by saying what we are, but also what we are not. Mm-hmm. We also define making it. We define not being oppressed by how high we've risen above a lower class. Mm-hmm. Right. It's weird. Like you, you, you always want to fight for equality, but. And you can get into weird sociology here that is probably too deep for this show. (laughs) But um, I was going to start mentioning names and I was like, never mind. (laughs) Off topic. Yeah. But you you start doing things where you say, oh, yeah, I know that I'm no longer oppressed because now I can stomp on other people. And you don't make that conscious thought, but it is something that we do as we're fighting for equality in any underprivileged group. So I guess like I'm just curious, like, because how like how do you guys as consumers approach like what you do with these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I approach it as like, I mean, to go back to the Ender's Game example, like I haven't stopped teaching Orson Scott Card because I think he's he's actually useful and partially because he has really Mm -hmm. problematic views, but Mm -hmm. is a very popular book still. I think there's also a caveat. All, I mean, you you started talking about it before we shifted topics slightly, but all four of us teach. Mm -hmm. And right. that's an important caveat. Well, that's- Hannah, and I talked on another episode about like I teach Tarzan. I can't remember what the problematic one you mentioned was. Well, uh, well, actually, everything yeah. I teach. Yeah, you're Victorian. Um, <laughs> I was so I'm a Victorianist, and actually, something that just came out. And if you know anything about Charles Dickens, this won't surprise you. He tried to get his wife sent to an insane asylum just to get rid of her, mm-hmm. like uh, which do. was a thing that people. <laughs> That's what people did in the 19th century. Um, uh, yeah, you know. So, I mean, like, and again, if you know anything about Charles Dickens, mm-hmm. you know that he was very cruel to his wife. He, like, had very horrible views on women. He was racist. He, you know, he, he was a, much, you know, typical. Right. I was going to say, how much of that is, like, though, part of, like, he was normal for his time? I mean, like, you know, there are definitely people who were in the 19th century who were anti-racist and fought for, you know, gender equality and, um, like thought about sexuality in a way that was progressive. But like a lot of the mainstream Victorian writers have either beliefs or like they wrote books that promote things that we would find disgusting. Uh, like Jane Eyre, I like to take to task like every episode I can because, uh, like, look, it's an embodiment of white feminism and it's super gross and no one should base a romantic relationship on it. And like, so like, you know, I'm just teaching these books with authors and some of the books are, uh, more like in line with like the kind of values that, we would like to hold because actually like Charles Dickens, you know, is known for being a very like important writer because of his social justice issues. And his books, I think, on occasion are far more, uh, shall we say, commendable today. But that doesn't change the fact that he is a person was garbage. <laughs> but but the thing is, is the fact that Charles Dickens is dead to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's not personally like making money off the fact that I teach his books. Right. Um, Same with Burroughs for me. Burroughs is long dead. And the reason I teach Tarzan is because I want to point out that the legend that people know that we remember, I'm making a point about the way memory changes. We remember this heroic figure and most people don't see how much of a, you know, white savior Tarzan is. And even more so 
like even the people who sort of realize, hey, this is kind of weird that there's this white guy being Lord of the Jungle. When they read the actual Tarzan and see how incredibly racist the original text is, um, blatantly so. Yeah, it's even more because striking. yeah, it's even more striking. So I want to see that, well, but that's as a teacher, and I think that I mean it's sort of weird because you want to you want to give a little more leeway to this sounds, you know, very egotistical, but you want to give a little more leeway to us to be able to teach than necessarily I might do in my private life. Um, we had on an episode, we talked about things like the Confederate statues that, you know, that, that you, you guys have dealt with in your area. And certainly you want to be able to talk about, you know, the Confederacy in an, in an English class and, and look at those statues it's not the same as wanting to walk around and see them every day. Well, I think Hannah, like the, one of the phrases Hannah used, like the idea of like values is actually really important because I think one of the things that is different as a teacher is so like when I teach a, teach a quote unquote problematic text or something that's a, like the text itself might be more accepting of that the person itself is problematic for lack of a better word, uh, is that I'm contextualizing it and point and, and teaching it precisely often because it brings mm-hmm. up those issues and we can have a conversation. And that context it. is important. Yeah. Right. The context is hugely important. And also I think it's important to remember that like as a teacher, at least I don't think of myself this way. I want to have a discussion about values. I want to have a discussion about ethics, but I am not here to basically teach students what their values are. I'm here to teach students how right. to approach their values critically. Mm-hmm. And right. I think yes. that there's a difference there because yeah. I think when you're consuming media, it's a different question of when we're just like, to me, it's like when I'm deciding I'm going to like go see this movie or buy this book, I am in some sense making a statement about what my values are. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thing is, is that when I am teaching in my main field, I'm teaching primary texts that are almost all Victorian um, or adaptations of the Victorian period. And you know, it's, I think, easy for both like us and students to be like, OK, this is the 19th century. So we realize that there's a lot of like bad things that Charles Dickens did and we can accept that and still like see the value in this book and understand why we're teaching it. And but we, so we can like deal with this, um, you know, these contradictions fairly easily. But it's different but, with Bill Cosby. Yeah, it, it's and all, even even like someone like Alfred Hitchcock. It's because it's like, more contemporary. Um, we don't have the we don't have the distance yeah, to be able to really yeah. judge that. But like Alfred Hitchcock was a creep. Very much so. And you can see that in his films, um, the way that women are shot and portrayed. <laughs> Who would have guessed? <laughs> but you know, he he was gross. And, you know, um, I think that whenever I teach or say anything about Alfred Hitchcock, that's an important thing to point out, both because that's uh, seen in his films and also because it's important to talk about the horrors in the film industry. But mm-hmm. I have seen people teach Hitchcock without talking about that at all and they're more interested in framing him as a genius or an auteur and i think that as we continue talking about this we need to keep in mind that like how especially with male creators the like thoughts like the phrases like that like genius or auteur like erase you know the bad things that they do um Mm -hmm. it's almost as if no one else can possibly create like a great thriller because hitchcock had a certain level of genius so we're willing to forgive him the crap he did I would also extend that to be, basically be like hegemonic creators overall, like people. Yes, so like Because I mean, I think that there's definitely white female creators, actresses, things like that mm-hmm. that have also mm-hmm. done this. I mean, I think like your point that it's traditionally white men and maybe like white men uh, mm-hmm. in many cases, it happens more frequently or the problems are perhaps more 
I mean, but, even to be contemporary, Bill Cosby is the prime example, right? right? Like Bill, yeah. Bill Cosby is a black man. I actually got into an argument with, um, with my cousin about this, who is like, uh, he actually, he tried to make this argument on, on Facebook that he thinks Bill Cosby, he's very much a defender. Bill Cosby was railroaded. They're only trying to take him down because he's black. And I was like, no, Bill Cosby is a monster who raped the majority of the women on the planet at this point, it looks like. And he got away with it. Not he did certainly didn't get away with it because he was black. He got away with it because he was famous. Mm-hmm. He got away with it for yeah. a long, long time because. And I, I will grant Cosby this: he is famous and he is a genius. I'll give him that. I think both things are true, and I think Katia exactly nailed it. I think that for a long time we let the genius give him the power to override the horrible things about him. And, R. And Kelly similar. I think not right even now. just genius, but I think especially because he was a prominent black figure at a time where that wasn't the most common thing in pop culture. And he did a lot, and he did yeah, a lot of good. Right. Yeah. Bill Cosby's done a lot of good things for the world and some really shitty ones. I think one reason that has been cited why he got away with this for so long is people were afraid to bring him down specifically because he was black and they thought that the actions of one man would affect how black men in general were perceived, especially with how cultural myth has treated black men and sexuality mm-hmm. in the past. And in the 1980s and 90s, they probably were right to take that. I mean, it's it's a hard, complicated issue. Again, that's why we're doing a show on it. But realistically, to take down Bill Cosby at the height of the Cosby show when this was going on would have had massive cultural repercussions. I'm not saying it shouldn't have been done. It probably should have been. But it, uh, I mean, to look at something right now, like hard questions, we've got the situation in Virginia uh, with the governor, the lieutenant governor and the secretary of state. No, it's the attorney general. Attorney general. OK, all having you know, a blackface problem and then a rape problem and then another blackface problem. And, you know, you start asking well, should we remove them all? And probably, but just from from what people were saying, it's looking like they're not sure how far deep in the government they'd have to go to to be someone who doesn't have a scandal in Virginia. And that's scary because it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. It probably should be. But I mean, how much of the government do you want to destroy for this? And I don't think it's as easy an answer as like maybe I want it to be. From a moral perspective, I want to say, yeah, throw them all in jail. You know, <laughs> like I, I'd love to be able to say that, but it's not it's not that easy. It, it isn't. So I, I think there was a reason to avoid Cosby. I think it was wrong, but I understand why people were afraid is what I'm saying. Well, and I, I guess just you know, trying to bring it back to you know, what do we as consumers do with this kind of thing? When the Orson Scott card thing first came out, you know, there's a guy I knew who was a big fan who just kind of immediately purged his life of any Orson Scott card. Like he, he was really offended by this and that's fine, but it completely affected the way he read those books and kind of retroactively affected his love of those books. Whereas, yeah, I hear this and I'm disappointed, but those books were so meaningful to me. Um, you know, but then I make the choice. Do I continue supporting his career? Do I buy the next one in the series or read it? Or you know, what do I do with that? Uh, I, I meant, Well, the difference is Card is still making books. Right, and, and, and that's, that, that's it. Weird. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. not that's not a choice Hannah has to deal with with Dickens. It's already out there. But, you know, for people who are actively artists, that, and when you have someone like Cosby who did this thing, like, OK, yeah, you can make the decision that that's that's at that level. I can't support. Well, you could also throw him in jail. Cosby's in prison. Right. Right. So that helps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
with with Card, it's a matter of we have a philosophical difference on this issue. I think it's a pretty big one, but he's not going to mm-hmm. get thrown in jail because he he donates to anti-gay issues. You know, so what do we do with that? You know, that at what level do I throw away all my copies of Orson Scott Card books, or do I just choose not to read the next one? Um, and do we allow for for people to to change? I, you know, I once again on the blog, I bring up in comics Frank Miller, who he was lauded as the genius and the auteur, and and he legitimately was instrumental in revolutionizing Batman very specific, but comics and superheroes in the 1980s. He's you know, massively important creator mm-hmm. in the field. And 10, 15 years ago, he just said all kinds of really crazy stuff. Um, Post 9-11, he became a massive yeah, racist. anti-Muslim. In recent years, he has recanted some of that. He has said that he was just in a bad place at that time. And he he regrets saying that. And it seems genuine. It doesn't just seem like, a, well, you know, he, he's enough mm-hmm. of a curmudgeon that if people pointed it out to him and he disagreed, he would just say so. Yeah, he did for quite a while. Yeah. In his case, Miller stopped writing regular comic books and started writing comic books about how evil Muslims yeah. were. Yeah. For a decade. Yeah. So I, I guess, and you know, and I, I'm, you know, I, at this point, I'm not a fan of anything he's done for a long time, but you know, taught Batman year one in my class. But do we allow a certain amount of forgiveness for someone who has genuinely gone, you know, I kind of lost my mind there for a while. I'll do better now. Do we give them that chance? Well, it depends on, I think, their actions and like what they mm-hmm. did in the first place. Because uh, John Lasseter, um, who, if you recognize the name, but you don't know what that's from. Um, Producer Pixar. Yes. And Disney. And he basically is, he's given credit as the reason Disney animation like turned around and instead of producing things like Home in the Range, produced things like Big Hero 6 and Frozen and Zootopia. So it came out um, during the Me Too movement that John Lasseter had done some sort of inappropriate touching with uh, women while working at Pixar and um, like through all the like reports um, it, it wasn't just like hugs people didn't want and felt uncomfortable he just turned Pixar into a boys club it was very hostile toward women female like creators um, just like did not stick around projects or creative control was taken away from them there was also like Apparently, women had a specific move called pulling a laster, so he wouldn't be able to touch them. So he was, you know, horrid. And so he ended up just like being removed from Disney after taking an extended break. And then most recently, last month, Skydance Media hired Lasseter to be part of their animation department. And like now it's in his contract that he is going to act professionally. And uh, Emma Thompson uh, wrote a letter that was released very recently that says she's pulled out of the production of Luck. And she wrote about why it's wrong to hire Laster because he has a pattern of misconduct and he is now in charge and in power once again. And it's not that he like created his own company where people could choose whether or not they wanted to work for them. It's now like a bunch of employees are under him and they have to decide between their livelihood and if they're comfortable working for a man who hasn't necessarily shown that he's changed or taken time to change. And also like if it, if it's sexual harassment, like it should the answer be, I'm a famous person. I'm working on my issues. I, I didn't realize women's bodies were their own. Can you just work with me for a hot second? Right. And I mean, cause it's also when you're talking about a situation like that, you're also, you're not just dealing with like whether or not, 
the you know the movie or whatever objects being made is is acceptable you're also dealing with like i mean what you're talking about there is like actually yeah. labor conditions so there's not just a question yeah. of what's being made it's a question of do people feel okay going to work and i think that that's a very different thing it's like i i mean i think that 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 like pulling out of that production and to me it yeah. entirely makes sense especially because that's not something that i mean that's something that emma thompson can do that's not something because right. of the financials, but I think like she's also probably speaking for a lot of people mm-hmm. who financially mm. or whatever, like for whatever reason, right. can't make that decision. Yeah, that's what I was going right. to bring up because my understanding of what happened with Skydance is that when that happened, they hired him, and then knowing it was a problem, the day after he accepted the offer, they told all the employees and said, "We're uh, we understand that there is a problematic." Uh, history with Lassiter. So we are having a mandatory all company employee meeting where we're going to talk about the steps that we are going to take to try and avoid this and let you talk about any issues you might be afraid of. And they did that after he already had the job rather than before. And also, frankly, if you if you have to have a meeting like that, that raises serious. And that is that. Like that, that's very and, and that is that's a bigger and different issue than just like gee am I gonna go see this movie this guy worked on you know right <laughs> right but you know, you know like the thing is is that maybe you or I not going to go see a new Skydance film since John Lester's been hired won't make that big of a difference mm-hmm. if we do it individually but Emma Thompson make, pulling out the difference. movie because she has the privilege to do that yeah. makes right. a difference and well, it also makes it more likely that people will be aware of the issue and that people may choose not yeah. to go see one of those films. Yeah. Here's the question, though. Emma Thompson pulling out is great because, yes, she did bring awareness to it. And yes, Emma Thompson has the power to pull pull out of this movie and be okay in a way that Jane in the animation department does not because Jane has a family. You know, Emma Thompson has a family, but Emma Thompson's also rich. Jane is just a working grunt, just like all the rest of us. So I understand why Jane might have to make a hard choice there. My problem is it's sort of a weird issue because I don't think the message gets sent by boycotting something that, oh, everybody's boycotting this movie because we hired John Lasseter. Let's get rid of John Lasseter. Unfortunately, boycotting doesn't usually do that. Boycotting usually means that layoffs start at the bottom. So the very people you're trying to help end up. It's what happens when everybody says, hey, let's boycott Walmart because of their horrible working conditions. So what does Walmart do? They certainly don't change the horrible wor- working conditions. They off. just they lay yeah. off the, the, the yeah. worst paid people. They, they, they <laughs> invest in more automatic teller machines. On, yeah. on the other hand, I mean, this doesn't always work out like this, but whenever people, even us with our you know small podcast, uh, talk about feeling uncomfortable going to see Brian Singer movies because of the allegations against Mm -hmm. Brian Singer or, you know, people at the Washington Post write about actually bother to write and address the fact that Brian Singer has been accused of assaulting many, many people, including (laughs) including minors, specifically minors, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like studios can no longer run from this. And the more exposure and bad press it gets, the more likely he won't be continued to be hired and put in a position of power where he can continue to do this. I mean, there's, there's no easy answer and right. it's kind of a hit and miss thing. It appears to be working on Kevin Spacey. So that's good. Well, and I think like also, I mean, I also wouldn't call like random people individually choosing to not go see a film without like an organized campaign. Like that's different from an actual, like an actual boycott to me implies that there's oh, sure. an organized thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Organization. So, yeah, like, absolutely. If there's an organized campaign to do something like that's a, like that can be effective if it's done properly. I just want to mm-hmm. like, 
And now because of Twitter, you can kind of organize campaigns rather easily and get people to see things that they haven't previously seen. Right. Well, you have to make enough noise. Part of this problem for me personally, I mean, this is sort of like when we start talking about how this intersects with like issues of like whether or not this, this person is contemporary. And I think especially like conditions of labor and things like that. To me, it's not just about like boycotting a movie. If a creator or something involved in a project basically makes me not interested in seeing a movie anymore, which like mm-hmm. has happened, um, like I won't go see it. I don't pretend that that's some sort of like political statement that's going to somehow yeah. Yeah. happen. I think like to me, it's like if you see these things happening and want to do something about it, like then that's a moment to like get involved in something. Because like all of these things, I guess it's like part of the reason like people like Bill Cosby and, and Harvey Weinstein are upsetting is not just because they are individual awful people. It's that these individual awful people in power, A, are creating like actual problems for people in the world, but are also emblematic of larger issues that we know to be true. In the Absolutely. World. Absolutely. Like, and I think that that's also important to keep in mind. It's like, mm-hmm. like the entertainment industry and it's similar to uh, people in politics or in the film industry are more likely to be like singled out for these issues, but mm-hmm. it's not like yeah. they're unique. You're right. There's a random creepy guy running the bank, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. you don't necessarily hear about him because he isn't in a billion dollar movie. Or in your I mean, in your own workplace, like, right. yeah, like, 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 look at Franco Moretti, um, who is a very famous English literature scholar who's been accused of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. What do you do with someone like that? And there, there, are, there are other abuses in the Academy that have recently come out. But like, what do you do? Do you do you ignore all their work? Do you continue to cite them, but you say something about the allegations? Do you try and do it's, something else? I mean, that's hard because, I mean, it's weird because everybody, everybody we're, we're going to know is going to be a literature scholar because it's what we do. But for what we do for a living, there's a cultural component to where it sort of makes sense that if you wanted to talk about the problematic issues, you could. But let's just take another field. If I'm a physicist right. and I need to cite a another famous physicist who was later found to be a racist or a sexist or a murderer. I don't know that his murdering somebody is relevant when I'm talking about the charge on a quirk or whatever. I don't know how science right, right. works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His life choices don't change the, the, the math. Right. Um, there's lots of modern thought that says that Einstein wasn't necessarily the best person in the world to his wife. But E still equals MC squared. And you're not going to you're not going to ignore that formula because Einstein was a shitty husband. On the other hand, not specifically about Einstein. I think that a lot of us uh, pretend that the humanities are and and we are mushy, Um, whereas like, you know, social sciences and natural sciences are quantifiable and like are facts and um, everything is just very objective. But like (laughs) biases yeah, but biases of, you know, racism and sexism or other things can affect, depending on what you study, how you study and also can affect the Absolutely. work environment that uh, you run. I mean, mm-hmm. the la- like there well, are also a reflection of who is yeah. get cited, like who yes. does get cited. Yes. So like just to step aside from sort of issues of like who's an awful person and not. I mean, it's been shown that like similar research released by women is less likely to be cited than the exact same research released by men for no reason, because it's like it could be it can be basically the same. And there's even been like like actual studies, the same article, the same research 
shown to the same person in different contexts and the name is changed and it is received differently. If it's a female, Mm -hmm. if it's a female name, if it's a name associated with a particular ethnic identity, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Women's names are dropped from papers when they're cited. Yeah, maybe we should talk about Francis Crick, James Watson, Rosalind Franklin. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, so even though... Uh, as humanities scholars or cultural critics or people who consume media, we think about these issues in depth all the time, every week on this podcast, they, they're they still like totally relevant to whatever field you're working in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sure. But I, I just think that it's you can't not cite them. No, I'm not saying you should not cite them, but yeah. it's something and we should be, think about. And to be perfectly honest, like, I think that that's also true. I mean, as somebody who's like a digi- works in digital studies, like. I can't not read Franco Moretti. I have to know who he is and I have to know his work because he's important to the field. Mm -hmm. I can choose not to cite him, but it's likely that I have to. Right. But like (laughs) if I'm ever asked about it in a conference, like I will have to like it's possible I'm going to have to answer to that. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are people that will disagree with me that like he's an important part of the field, regardless of whether or not. Or for us entirely, we can bash the old dead white men is what we call internally, what we tend to call the literary canon. And we can say that all we want. And we can talk about all the problems of, you know, why don't, well, I shouldn't say we, but why don't regular people, the regular people, if you say, who are the great authors of the world that are female, uh, I guess, Bronte. Austin, Austin, like, there's a, and, yeah, there's a struggle. <laughs> and you're and maybe maybe you go Virginia Woolf, and then you're done, right? Like so. so, so I'm not so done. I, Sorry, no, no, this that, is no, that, no you're not. That's, that's my that's my that's my point. I think that I think that a regular person does that. A regular person, you know, is not going to name a lot of people. So there's a problem, and that that was caused by what what Cadi was talking about. On the other hand. I can't get a job if I pretend that Hemingway doesn't exist. I can't. Like right. that's you for, have to have a re- like if you're not going to teach Hemingway, you have to have a reason. I'm a Victorianist. Yeah, or right, well, but, like, but you can't get a job without I, and pretend that Dickens doesn't exist. I, I was making a joke. Let me have my joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the th- I guess the nice thing about the Victorian canon is that uh, there's so many like quote unquote canonical authors that you can pick between the ones you don't like and you don't have to teach them. But you still have to them. know them. But you have to know. Yes, you have to know them and right. you have to read them. Like, um, I, mean, I guess that's what I mean by like not having a reason. It's like I can't say that like, you know, I mean, like I work in science fiction. Trash humans abound in especially early science <laughs> human or science fiction. I can't not read like I would basically have to not read most of early science fiction like my master's thesis would have been impossible um Mm -hmm. and if I said if I want to say that like I'm someone who works on science fiction I can't ignore like basically everything published in amazing stories in the 20s um I have to know it and if I choose not to teach it if I choose not to reference it I have like I have to know it enough to have a reason not to talk about it and for us for Wayne and I as comic scholars, we've talked earlier on this show about Frank Miller, uh, probably the next most important person from that era is probably Alan Moore, uh, who yeah. is also Problematic. a horrible person in many, many ways. But if I teach a class that is the history of comics, which I've done a couple of times, which mm-hmm. Wayne has done a couple of times, and I skip the 80s. <laughs> To avoid the two of them, then I've not well, done and, and my job I'm, correctly. I'm add a third of that trilogy, Dave Sim, who isn't as well known, Dave. but for self-publishing black and white comics in the 80s, mm-hmm. he is an essential figure. 
Uh, STEM is weird because if you're actually doing a deep comic class where you're talking about self-publishing mm-hmm. and you're not talking about just the big two, STEM is without a doubt, I'd say, the most yeah. important creator I, I agree. in I, the history of, of independent and, and, comics. More and, so and than... I, I don't think, yeah. And he's I, horrible. I, I, he is yeah, I don't awful. think his work holds up. I, I, it's not something I would ever teach. Uh, and Because mm-hmm. I, I think it's dated in, in many, many ways. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of, yes, the, just that, the, the whole concept of self-publishing and creator ownership, what he meant for creator's rights, he and a whole bunch of mm-hmm. other people putting together a creator's bill of rights. First time that was ever done. He's an mm-hmm. absolutely essential figure for, for that, that movement. But wow. But when we talked the con- when we did the comic syllabus class, not a single person said no. we should put so- no, syllabus no, on it. Nobody ever will. But, it, but I <laughs> right. would say though, I mean, I understand why people wouldn't, would, would not suggest those people, but I would say like, like when I think about my syllabus and especially someone who teaches like, like, like early science fiction, for example, I think as, as a teacher, which is distinct from me as an individual consumer, but as a teacher, I feel like it is irresponsible for of me not to teach texts that are by problematic creators yeah. precisely because that is an important part of understanding the history of the genre. And, so yeah, I think I in agree. some yes. ways, yep, I agree. Well, and it's, not, right. it's also like, their signposts for how we have changed and grown as well. And also that signposts for how we try to. Yeah. I think we're much more, I mean, yeah. I've noticed in my students, they're much more ready to see, for example, sexism and racism in science fiction from the twenties than they are to see it in star wars yeah um mm-hmm. even though because it's closer to them because it feels like oh well we've moved past xyz even though it's not always true i read a lot of freshman papers that say back in the old days when there was sexism back in the right. old days when there was racism and like what planet yeah. do you live on <laughs> you know but you know like i've also found that because i teach in the 19th century and i go all the way up to the contemporary in every class I do, even if it's for a little while. After a while, they like start seeing the like similarities between our era and the Victorian period. And art right. sometimes so it depends on the student and how it's taught, are sometimes more open to realizing things aren't so great now. As and especially I suppose since Trump has been elected, because it's kind of <laughs> it's much hard to ignore now than when Obama was president. But you yeah. but you precisely get that awareness, I think, by teaching texts mm-hmm. that come from Yes. Spaces and ideas. And I think even, I mean, even as a culture consumer, like, yes, I will not go see things by people if it's like, it makes me lose interest in the text. But also, even as a consumer, like, I will often read about those things. I mean, part of that is because I'm a scholar of pop culture, but part of it is also just like, I would like to know what's going on in the pop, like various pop culture industries so I can be aware of what's going on around. Me. I mean, even people aren't just gross in like the sense that we know they've done something wrong like as far as i know stephanie meyer who wrote the twilight series is just uh you know a a lady who had a dream about a vampire who sparkled and like wrote some books that is actually genuinely how she came to write those uh but like (laughs) but like the things in her books are kind of gross as we've talked about before on the show so Mm -hmm. like even if the creator's not gross, that doesn't mean that like it doesn't like art in general doesn't reinforce things that we perhaps don't want to emulate in our own personal lives. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't read them. I, I think sometimes we read them just for like how you said, not only as a reader, I mean, not as a again, it's weird for us for the four of us to sort of divorce the scholar self from the personal self, because I do the exact same thing as Katya. If I mean, and 
Also, like, like I, think I wouldn't know what a, problematic media. I basically couldn't play any video game ever. Yeah. Uh, name right. a name right. piece of media that isn't problematic. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's the other thing. Yeah. It's also like there's matter. There's like there's questions of degrees. But like, mm-hmm. just in the same way that no human being is perfect. Yeah. Well, like, that's what it's getting, but here's where it gets weird. I, I was actually having this conversation with my wife who I, who was thinking about being on the show. And then she thought, ah, I don't know if I have anything to say, but R. Kelly, when the R. Kelly news broke, not the, you know, he was arrested this week, but the documentary came out a couple weeks ago and uh, Stephanie watched it and she said, wow, he seems really, really horrible. And I was like, yeah. And she said, I thought you said that uh, from a conversation from years ago, from the last time that he was arrested, it's like, I thought you said that um, you didn't think he did those things. I was like, oh no, I've known R. Kelly was a monster for 20 something years. You know, Aaliyah made an album called, that he produced called Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. Like there's, he barely hides it. He is a deplorable human being. And I've known, she's like, well, I thought you said you were a fan. I am. He's a musical genius. I mean, he, like, I actually have known for quite some time that R. Kelly was a horrible person, but I'm not going to pretend that I can, I believe I can fly isn't a great song. I I wouldn't be able to listen to any of the music I'm into, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, So it's, but it's hard. And I don't know. I don't, I can't, I certainly can't fault somebody for saying I can't listen to R. Kelly. I can't, I can't watch a Brian Singer movie because, because uh, no, it's again, it's weird. I haven't liked, well, actually that's not true. I liked X, I liked Logan, but I don't like most of the X-Men movies. And I didn't like the ones that Brian, when he, when Brian Singer was making them and people didn't know, but I have to watch them anyway. And so that's weird for us because we're going to watch everything that's in our field for me. For if it's superheroes, I just, I, even if it's not part of my dissertation, I feel like I need to be aware of stuff. I'm a big enough hip hop fan that I need to be aware of stuff, but I, I don't know. I don't know that I can, you know, I'm a big enough movie fan that even if I wasn't a scholar, again, usual suspects is essentially a perfect film. It's so good. <laughs> LA confidential. Hannah, you said, you know, you said a couple episodes is your favorite. It film. is my favorite film. And I felt really gross about watching it after um, mm-hmm. I found out about Kevin Spacey, but also that, that actually is the fact that people like Kevin Spacey exist and thrive in Hollywood is exactly the point that LA confidential is making. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just like being, I mean, I think also just the process of like recognizing that you appreciate and like cultural objects that can be really important to you come from places that aren't great is like an important thing to sort of deal yeah. as a human being. Because like, it's not just, I mean, like I said, like I said this earlier, it's like, it's not just that this, these things happen in the creative field. It's like, they're happening all the time. And I feel like when we engage with these cultural objects that come from these places we're comfortable with, we have, it's like, we're basically confronted with something that in our daily lives, we may have an easier time. Yeah. And actually like, you know, um, one thing a couple of people said um, on the comments and that we've talked about is, you know, one thing to consider is where is the money going? Like who's making money off of this? Mm -hmm. And that is also a complicated issue because it might be easy to say, well, Charles Dickens or Kant or someone is dead. So we're not making money off that. But um, if you take someone like Kesha, who um, I think is a musical genius, perhaps the greatest musician mm-hmm. of our time. Um, and oh boy. Well, I'm excited for the comments in response to that. <laughs> not, not the first uh, time you've said that. 
I, no, it's not the first time I've said that. But but I, I this no. Uh, <laughs> happy early birthday, Kesha. Um, actually, happy late birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, Matt, we got our microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, this is there. Kesha can afford better microphones than, I'm, than I bought you guys. <laughs> just, just so you know, um, I mean, I'm glad you guys like them, but it's not it's not a Kesha money microphone. <laughs> oh boy! Do, anyway, do, anyway. Kesha is the do most brilliant really musical genius in the yes. world of Hannah. Yes, yes. Everyone, world of everyone. She, uh, she, she, like you know, her her work is really interesting, um, and. You know, she like has really, I think um, she has like a lot of important good politics, but like um, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with um, the case with her and Dr. Luke, where she alleges that she was sexually assaulted by him and like they've, they've been in court for years now and it's still not resolved. Kesha, because of how her contract works, still like is at Sony and Dr. Luke is still like a name. Um, who is on her? He stuff. is her executive producer in in name, right? Yeah. D- didn't they remove yeah, him they, from actual they don't production? Have, she doesn't have to work with him anymore. They kind of deal with she doesn't have to work with him, but his right. name is still on stuff. So if you want to buy right. things, still making money from it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to buy stuff to support Kesha, or just because you like her music, you're also like contributing to Sony, and also like record companies are just gross entities on their own because of how contracts work. Yeah, there's like. Well, Dre Day is still EC's payday. It's a, it, yeah, contract music contracts are crazy. That may be a future episode because yeah. they're. And actually, are, I mean, also, also just media. I mean, media companies are like a giant mess of like who owns who and then what subsidiaries yeah. and like parent companies. So, like, if you really want to like somehow purge your media consumption of all people you disagree with, like. Well, that, that, yeah. that's, something, that's something I had in my notes I wanted to bring up. There was an episode of The Good Place recently that's talking about. Yes, I was about, actually going to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Like no one. Riverdale, yeah, no, no, whatever. Oh boy. No one has gone to The Good Place in you know, 300 years or whatever because unintended consequences. We live such a connected society anymore that you can live the best life you can. But if you buy a product, you children in sweatshops in Asia have mm-hmm. made parts of that product and you don't even know that, but you are culpable in, in that system. Uh, you, right. My favorite line with that was like, do you know that there's this chicken sandwich that if you eat it, it means you hate gay people? And, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that's exactly it. Just that, that type of interconnectedness that no matter what choices we make, where does the money go? Who, who, who and I'm, I'm going to bring it back to who gets hurt with that sort of thing. Just any very personal, very small way working at the comic shop. And we've had this instance happen a, a number of times where you know, something comes out about a creator and suddenly someone will, you know, they'll, because of this, this action is created, said or did something crazy. They cut their subscription uh, and put back mm-hmm. books that we've had on hold for them because they can't support that creator. Well, we as a store, mm-hmm. we've already ordered that stuff. We've already paid for it. The creator already has that money. We, right, that just we hurts have light our bills store. to pay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, when, when you make that decision, you're hurting the local retailer, not this creator who you disagree with. Not even Marvel. Yeah. It, it, there's no, it, there's no repercussions. It only hurts. Yeah. Wayne's boss. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, and that, that's a microcosm, but that's the way that plays out when you make these decisions. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how you take those apart. I don't know how you separate those. You know, like you said, none of us are going to the good place because everything's so interconnected. Yeah, I think it's like one of those things. It's like none of this and like the fact that like everything's interconnected and you can't avoid it. Like none of this is a reason not to be conscious about your decisions of like what you're consuming and who you're supporting. But it's also recognizing that there's no such thing as perfect. And And we can't know everything about any of these issues, you know, where, where the money goes. We can't, you know. Yeah, I think it's about choosing your battles. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, it's like whether or not I go see a movie is not the battle yeah. I'm going to fight. It's more about what I'm going to do in mm-hmm. my community, where my money's going to go and like what actual like change I can affect as a human being in the world, in the cultures I participate mm-hmm. in. But I can't fault anybody for them either. I mean, no, I, like I don't go watch horror movies just because I don't like horror movies. So like I, I think it's reasonable to not go watch a movie because the guy who made it might be a racist. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I don't think that's I also, a, I guess it's like what I'm saying is like I also at least I would personally if someone goes sees a movie that's like I wouldn't personally judge them for going to yeah. see that movie either. Mm-hmm. Unless they're specifically seeing it because he, he, well, yeah, so right, I'm right. going to see the movie or because it's a right. rapist. If there, I ever meet someone who is going to go see a movie directed by a rapist specifically and only because <laughs> you can judge that. They, yeah, like, you can judge that. Right. Then I will judge yeah. the fuck. Yeah. I think I mean like as as uh usual, um we've we've like come to no conclusions. Um <laughs> we've resolved nothing. But yeah, uh I I didn't I didn't <laughs> want to steal the timeline, but I think that uh, you know, like, even though we might handle these issues differently or like handle them differently, depending on the situation, yeah. uh, because there's no yeah. one easy answer. It's not a bad thing to think ethically about, you know, the people who are impacted by gross creators mm-hmm. or people who work mm-hmm. on uh, creating media or in our own lives. And it's certainly not misplaced to have empathy for people who have. Ooh, yes. No, actually, I do. We we did solve something. Not that we've solved something, but I think the field of cultural <laughs> studies in general has solved something. The answer is critical yeah. thinking. Yeah. Is it? Well, and 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 you're right. I, <laughs> I was going to follow up on what Hannah was saying. Just as much as we possibly can, being conscious of our choices. You trying to be aware of these things in in the things the media we consume or, or whatever we participate in, knowing we can't be aware of all of it. You know, the, the, the dolly grip on that movie I was watching, you know, was a rapist. Well, it doesn't say that in the credits. So I, you know, I, it, it's hard. Yeah. You know, we, we, yeah, we, we, being a grip is hard work. So I don't, I, we're, we're not implying no, anything about no, no, the specific dolly grip. The, the sake but, of, of yeah. illustration. But yeah, I mean, but, but trying to be as aware as we possibly can and, and making the decisions based on that. Um, I say, you know, I, I I mentioned in the blog, you know, just a specific musician that I haven't given money to in a lot of years, but damn, I still like that album from 1978. I'm okay liking that album, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Harvey Weinstein has produced yeah. 326 films. And he's films. produced like films that, you know, are really like good. And like he produced, mm-hmm. he like, he was like the reason I believe that Bride and Prejudice, uh, the Bollywood style adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, which is my fave, got mm-hmm. re- like, got made in the first place. And, you know, that's with a female director, mm-hmm. you know, like. I'm looking at his IMDb list now. It's it's literally 326 movies that he is a producer or an executive producer on it. If you want to not support Harvey Weinstein, some of, you know, the most recents of which are out now. Good luck watching a movie if you don't want to put some money in Harvey Weinstein's pocket somehow. Yeah, I think good luck. I think for me, the line, I mean, I, we, you mentioned at the top of the show, my beef with Carl Lagerfeld, uh, who just passed away recently. And anyone who is interested in fashion at all knows that he is dismissed. We, we referenced before, like one of the, he's one of the creators is uh, dismissed as being eccentric 
when he's basically Islamophobic, uh, homophobic, transphobic, fatphobic, sexist, trash human. And my beef with that is not that I think like no one should ever wear Chanel or be interested in fashion. My beef with that is that like Instagram, part of the reason I got salty, but I like, well, what's salty? I'm so salty about it is because like Instagram, those of you who have ever checked out my Instagram account know that my, my sewing feed is very important to me. Uh, <laughs> the sewing world, which is, you know, has a lot of communities that are basically got into sewing precisely because of all of the gross things that happened with fashion. There were a lot of companies that were like commemorating the passing of Karl Lagerfeld. And it's like, like to me, that pissed me off just because it's like, this is different from like being a fan of Chanel, being a fan of runway fashion. This is specifically commemorating somebody who has produced as like not single-handedly, but has contributed majorly to like this industry being as, you know, watch word, take a drink problematic as it is i mean it's sort of weird when somebody dies because everyone is perfect in death you know i, I mean right for us we talked about stan lee when stan lee died largely not entirely but largely most of his obits sort of glossed over some not so pretty things. You know, stan was never as horrible as any of these people but stan did do some problematic things with creators rights ditko when you'll agree ditko has some very not cool politics and some relatively racist mm. things that happened in, in some of his early comics you're gonna have those and when michael jackson died you know we conveniently forgot about decades worth of pedophilia charges. So I think that's going to happen. And I don't know, I don't know how to get around that. And I don't know that you should. I think that it goes back to being critical, you know, think about, be aware, be critically aware of the music and of the culture and of, you know, the problems because that's how you avoid us back to and being aware of how it affects other people. Some of that brings us back to our, you know, a much earlier podcast, the whole death of the author kind of thing though, is what they did in their real life. Does that affect the art? And, and yes, I mean, you know, who they are as a person affects what they create. But when I Mm -hmm. listen to a piece of music, when I read a novel, is it possible for me to just enjoy that for what it is completely separate from whoever wrote it? I read novels all the time. I know the name of the author because it's on the cover. That's it. I know nothing else. Sometimes. Yeah. And then sometimes and, not. And, sometimes and not. Like it, to how that affects you, I think, is is you know, that's part of what we're talking about here. I think the big difference is it's easy to ignore Harvey Weinstein because yeah. he's just a name in the credits. It's not as easy to ignore Bill Cosby. Well, for me personally, I can watch a Bill Cosby show. I can watch a Kevin Spacey movie. I can watch American Beauty. I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. L.A. Confidential, one of my favorite movies. Usual Suspects, again, probably a perfect film in every way. And I can watch it and I can see Kaiser Sose. But I don't know if I can watch a Kevin Spacey movie in 2020. Yeah, well, a new one. Yeah, it would be hard. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it would be hard. I think some of that I, is I, also. I don't know how to when, do that. When are you exposed to this? If it meant something to you at a former point in your life, it's hard for it to stop meaning something to you now. So, like you said, resolve yeah. nothing. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> None of us know what to do. Yeah, and I think it is compounded by the fact that we are all. Yeah, I get you enjoy what you enjoy, but be aware. Yeah, I think that's the best resolving we can do. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, PJ. (laughs) 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 All right. We never claim to actually be useful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he listens to the show. He knows we don't resolve anything. <laughs> so, anyway, <laughs> no guests this week. So I'll, I'll, I'll go first this week. I'll actually say that um, I am. I am now on 
or will be in a couple days or was a couple days ago, depending on the order that I get this show out and Joe Dorowski gets his show out. I'm on the protagonist podcast this week. Uh, we are doing, or they are doing, is it we, when you're a guest, I don't know how that works. Well, a they did it. Uh, of humans is doing something. Yeah. Uh, the protagonist podcast, which is hosted by Joe Dorowski, who's been on this show a couple of times. His brother, Andrew, is the producer of that show. He, he was on our Disney episode. So they had me on to talk about the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how we like the movies, how cinematic universes work in general. It's a special show that they put together where we just sort of do more of what we do on this show, but with less swearing. <laughs> So yeah, we, we didn't. <laughs> I think you should check that out. And if you've heard the shows yeah, before, we, we like we like Swarovski's a lot. Damn. No, we did not. No, <laughs> I, not too much. I, I don't Fuck. usually do much swearing. <laughs> Hi, mom and dad. <laughs> so Hannah's perfect. She's uh, she's, she's a delight. No the rest one of us, believes that. The rest of us are foul, foul no one that much people. less my parents. <laughs> Hannah, you're speaking up. Where can people find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers, where I will not be swearing at all. I I bet you, you and I don't know when you're listening to this podcast at home, but I assure you 30 seconds ago, Hannah (laughs) tweeted about Kesha. (laughs) No, no matter when you're listening, 30 seconds ago, she wrote a Kesha tweet or Kesha. Yeah, that seems correct. (laughs) <laughs> Katia, what about you? Uh, you can find my Instagram at just that nerd kid. Mm-hmm. Lots of sewing. Lots of sewing and people, uh, complaining about problematic creators, actually. And sometimes cats. And cats. Yeah, my cat is a very excellent sewing companion who also likes to sleep on me while I'm writing my dissertation. It's great. And she's actually in a video game, so. She's in a video game. That's exciting. Wayne. Uh, two things. Uh, where can you find me? As of right now, you can find me in World Book. The, the hard copy finally came out that has the entry I wrote on the Black Panther. So. World Book? You mean I, the, encyclopedia? the encyclopedia? So Fancy. I, I wrote the entry for Black Panther, the brand new entry for Black Panther in the World Book Encyclopedia. The hardcovers are out available at libraries everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, you're not, you're not buying a encyclopedia no, for home no, in the I, age of well, Wikipedia? One volume at a time. So. <laughs> Um, but I, I, Hi, I'm that kid who did that report on space. <laughs> what, what I'm really most excited about with, with having a world book entry is kids are going to be plagiarizing me for decades. So, <laughs> uh, so the other thing, and, and this isn't where you can find me. I just feel like I, I need to mention this. Um, you will see this in the store tomorrow. Mav, tomorrow, based on when we're recording this, by the time this airs, this will have already happened. But the end of a series that I've been following for 35 years years came out. Uh, today I read the last issue of Mage, The Hero Denied by Matt Wagner, uh, third in a series of graphic novel series he started in 1984 back when he said there would be three series of this. I have waited 35 years for a series that <laughs> ended today. So I'm not quite sure what I'm doing with my life from this point on. Um, well, no, you are you are writing a paper for I it am, for PCA. I am, yes. Um, and, and then the day after PCA, Wayne will cease to exist much, on this earth. Plane. But yeah, it, it's kind of <laughs> a weird feeling. Of, yeah, <laughs> but it, it's kind of a weird feeling. I, I got to admit, here's this thing that's been you know, hanging, hanging over me, but to something that's been a part of my life as an anticipatory thing for 35 years. Odd. 1984 was not 35 years ago. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that time was like. And, and I've, I've already sent Matt a message and he wrote back thanking me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Aside from the protagonist this week or whatever, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Vox Popcast or on the web at www.voxpopcast.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts from and write us a five-star review on iTunes. That magically helps other people find the show and it gives me a reason for living because I love you and I want you to love me back. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for joining me as always. I hope you enjoy your new yeah, microphone. <laughs> Bonus points if anyone mm-hmm. names my microphone in the <laughs> oh, that's that's opening up a whole world of <laughs> Yeah, do you really I want that? Uh thank you to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song playing us out ever so more epically. Thank you again for listening and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Chip, you know what? You just made the list! Oh no! Oh, here we go.